Hello, Cherubs, Passion Pod 61. Thank you so much for donating your airtime to listening to Passion Pods. You could be donating it to anything, uh, but you are truly wonderful creations because you're listening to Passion Pods. So thank you hugely for that. Uh, this week, brilliant chatting to Tallulah Brown. She is a writer, she's a singer, she's a worker in a bookshopper. Probably actually easier ways to say that, uh, bookshop worker. Uh, but we mainly chatted about her writing. That's like the kind of main thing that we natted about. Uh, and she's doing amazingly well, working with Channel 4 on some TV stuff. She's had a show on at the vaults with her theatre bits. So yeah, lots of different bits and pieces that she's up to and some really interesting advice and encouragement if it's something that you're thinking about getting into. Um, she just got there by quite an interesting path. So yeah, lots of encouragement in there. Oh, and added bonus... She taught me a couple of new words, which if you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know that is a mega thumbs up in my book. Love a new word, me. Probably need to get out a little bit more. Uh, Anyway, enough of my uh, hermiting tendencies. Uh, Over to Tallulah. You're listening to Passion Pod 61 with Tallulah. So I reckon we'll talk about everything because you are many strings to your bow, I feel. Yeah. Um, but so in a nutshell, like if you're meeting someone, Tulula, how do you describe what you do? I feel like I'm quite schizo. Whoever I'm surrounded by, I say the opposite. Brilliant. Okay. So I'm a bookseller if I'm around, you know, musicians or if I'm at a gig, I say that I'm a writer or if I'm, you know, I basically try and uh, hide behind. That's quite <laughs> handy. <laughs> That's brilliant though. That's quite a lot of different facets though, isn't it? Yeah. So talk me, let's get to a try. I like to do a sort of a little timeline. Yeah. So take me back, uh, I don't know, school, uni, did you do that kind of path? What were you sort of wanting to get into any of these always or are these kind of things that have come up? Yeah, I, I think that English and drama were probably at the centre of all those decisions. Um, they were always my favourite class at school and, and there was never any question that I would do anything else when I got to uni or when I was applying. Um, I always loved writing stories. I was actually really bad at punctuation all the time. I've actually never really learnt grammar. It seemed to just like jump over my head. I couldn't understand any of it and I still don't really understand grammar. And so when I found script writing, which was in the final year of uni, it seemed like the perfect meeting point of being able to tell stories without worrying about these horrible commas <laughs> I really empathise it's like my Awful use of capitals yeah. it's just not a good look I could just copy speech patterns and that was incredibly reassuring and uh, yeah so I, I basically did a module in script writing right at the end of Manchester and I wrote a play called Phantasmagoria um, which... such a great title that oh. by the way I love it I love sort of made up words and lovely tasty words yeah. it's a real taster yeah yeah and has a really kind of oblique meaning involving light and dark and, and loads of different kind of very murky definitions and we, we we it won an audience choice award at Manchester as part of the MIFTAs which is kind of Manchester BAFTA awards that everyone takes very seriously in Manchester. Amazing <laughs> Manchester but you can't Trump really department. say MIFTA without the slight rise smile yeah. it's a great word. <laughs> it won a MIFTA. Amazing that's so um, cool so was that that was at the end of your that was at the end of your uni? Yeah that was at the end of uni and I was actually doing it alongside finals and quiet time yeah <laughs> just in case there wasn't enough to do um but obviously it all kind of fed into each other I was doing a project on fairy tales 
And to do that, I went back to schools and did these workshops and literary writing hoods and drama workshops with kids. I was doing these kind of theatre drama exercises about what you pack in a suitcase, what you take away if you had to pack a suitcase. And I'd record these children saying what they'd take with them. God, how interesting. That exercise then led to Phantasmagoria, which was the story about three girls growing up together a story about one girl leaving her two friends um, and this kind of suitcase motif and what she was taking or packing in her suitcase was really, really central to that story. And we actually, I used the audio of the girls talking about what they were going to pack in the play. Um, really it was cool. A, it was a, yeah, I just learnt so much from putting that on. But it was my first thing and then went to Edinburgh, which was very exposing to kind of be up at the festival with the first thing you've ever written. And straight away, I guess, as well, like straight yeah. off the back of finishing it in the summer. I just and... left uni and suddenly um, I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do. And so I felt quite kind of um, weak. <laughs> I definitely couldn't deal with any um, any kind of criticism or I'd, I'd just sort of shy away. And I didn't really feel I felt I could stand by the play. It was it had amazing parts for women, three central girl roles. Um and I knew that it kind of packed a punch and I could see the audience numbers were amazing. But, you know, those Edinburgh critics can be really ruthless. And um, they, there's still this three-word review that I, you know, when I'm having bad days, I will just hear it in my head. But isn't that crazy? I imagine there were also a lot of really good reviews. If your audience was selling out every night. Yeah, you know, there were great ones that I can't remember. one doesn't remember. remember. Yeah. But there was this three-word one that said that accused me of being lazy, depressing and naive. Oh, darling, and you like, it's like etched in your soul. Yeah. Get it out. The three words, so annoying. I hope you I meet mean... that horror one day and just went, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm the... The lazy, depressing, naive one. <laughs> I remember French said we had grounds to complain because the review was so short. They said that if it was that damning, it had to kind of substantiate in any way. And that... But isn't that crazy, though? I mean, it's crazy that that, that comes up. I think it's such yeah. a natural yeah, thing, yeah, but yeah, yeah. so frustrating that that is, like, the thing that you remember. I know, and will kind of haunt you. Um, anyway, I got back from Edinburgh and didn't know what to do and went on an Arvon course, an Arvon writing course, um, where we were in John Osborne's house in Wales for a week wow. with no um, radio and newspapers, no computers. I think we just had paper and pen. Um, I slightly want to just go on that course anyway. <laughs> that sounds like a dream. It was amazing. Oh. Uh, so that was kind of just to continue the exploration of yeah. doing that maybe as a, as a job, was it? Or was yeah, that not it, even... I was just so... Um, I couldn't get a job. We just got back from Edinburgh. I, didn't, I was so muddled about what to do. My dad uh, gave me that for my birthday and and it happened to be with Nina Steiger who, who's at Soho Theatre now and she um she basically gave me like a five-year plan and she was just extraordinary in what she changed that week she just made this kind of vague idea I had of wanting to write it a complete possibility she just said you know to not expect huge things to happen and to just to keep going and she's still that's still her kind of refrain every time I see her is to just keep going um you know, that, that then turned, just to kind of then fast forward, it, the, the last Ver- Verity Bargate Award, a play that I'd then written came in the top, it was like the top 25, I think. And that's an award that she is kind of part of and shared. And, and I remember seeing her in the bar in Soho and she, again, she just like speaks in these amazingly glorious sound bites where she's like, you're doing the right thing. What an amazing person to meet though, in terms of I just know, a role um, for you. Yeah. You know, to have that sort of, um, yeah, mentoring. Or I guess yeah. as well, like you saying about it being a possibility, 
What do you think it was before that was making you think, I don't know if you remember, but was making you think it wasn't the possibility? Oh, I think it's you just leave uni and you get start getting called by, um, you know, recruitment agents. So I was unemployed between September and maybe even January and I was applying everywhere. By the time it got to Christmas, I remember applying for a job to sit in a church and sell charity Christmas cards and I didn't get it. And the only job prerequisite was that you had to dress warmly. And um, <laughs> I mean, I hate to laugh. And but I had is... a first. <laughs> it's like, what's going wrong with my life? I was. I had a first. I thought that I was completely employable, but now I look back on that time and I think, well, if I had been employed at that point, I actually wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now because part of it was this struggle and doing completely random things. You know, I then started working as a personal assistant for, for this old lady, Mira Hammamesh, who was a filmmaker from the 80s. She was Polish and Jewish, and in her... I think probably early 90s by the time I started working for her. Wow. And my job was then to go and see her for kind of two or three hours a day um, and essentially talk to her. I mean, it was meant to be a secretarial job, but by the time I got employed, she'd actually moved into a rehabilitation unit because she'd had a stroke. Everything was starting to kind of slow down for her. And it was my kind of work with her and my relationship with her that really started to spur me on. You know, she had such this like fire in her to create stuff. And seeing her kind of physically being unable to create things suddenly after a whole lifetime of making these films really spurred me on to finish the, this first play, which was There's a Monster in the Lake. She became another mentor. It was like that first year of leaving university. There were so many women that I met who were totally inspiring, both on the Avon course, playwrights that were older than me, were showing me how you could you know make your art and and have a livelihood and get on with it it's amazing that because it basically yeah it's like examples of it also yeah. living proof i guess yeah, yeah yeah exactly um so your singing part like yeah. how does that fit in i mean is that sort of still part of your career I we've wanna... been together for like nine years God, a long time us, i know you know we've just written a song for the suffragette trailer I saw which that. has been amazing and a big breakthrough for us and it's been the first time where we could kind of see it as happening where actually we could make money from it it hasn't been like a money thing it's been very much a hobby we are now best I mean we were best friends then but obviously we're best friends now so there's a lot of like gassing that needs to happen before any singing <laughs> but so have you done that pretty much constantly for the last yeah. nine years so that has been quite a constant then for you the yeah. singing yeah. Yeah, yeah before how you've all got different things that you were doing on the side as well yeah. then I guess and a big you know there's a seamstress a chutney business mogul <laughs> uh, Serafina was working music PR everyone was doing very different things but the singing was like a, a through line for all of us and something we all loved doing and There's a Monster in the Lake was the first play that I scored um, with the trills in mind. So we stood at the back of every show and sang. I wrote a kind of, I guess I wrote a soundtrack. So this play's a real key thing, isn't it, for you? Because it feels like yeah. that that was then, you could bring in your trills side of stuff and your writing. Yeah. How amazing yeah. to have a project where they sort of aligned a bit. I mean, was it, how did it you find amazing. it? It was amazing. I mean, parts of it, I remember the, first, the when we first uh, transferred from, it was on at the Rosing Branch in July, and I decided I'd be too nervous to sing. You know, I managed to get enough trills there for me to actually not be singing and have written it and be totally emotionally, like, strung up by it. So I could just take a back seat. But it got to the point in January when, when I realised there weren't actually enough of us around for me to do that, so I was going to have to sing. And on top of that, the director had decided we were wearing these kind of slight wedding dress, big veiled things as sirens. 
And on top of that, it was Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, what is um, my life become? And I become? can't not do it because there's only me and Serafina that night because of the way that the timetabling had worked out. So it's just me and Serafina singing in wedding dresses at the back of my own play. <laughs> <That's> so <good. laughs> um, And that's when you realise that, you know, you've written some kind of weird fairy tale. <laughs> it's like, this is the only person I can blame about this is myself. Yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely wicked, though. But it's fun on. I mean, yeah, to manage to create all of that stuff, as incredible as that sounds, you know, it takes a lot of dedication and a lot of, I don't know, a commitment um, on your part. Do you find it hard to juggle what you spend your time doing with these various different projects? Um, I think sometimes when you work from home, you know, that's when it becomes tricky. So for three days a week, I'm in my bookshop. Which is what your Which source is, of steady income is, yeah, I guess. Yeah, and really a source of like being surrounded by constant kind of stories. It's like a kind of wall of story. But so the, for the other three days, I'm, I'm working from home, which means that obviously if I'm having trouble writing a script, it's much easier to be sorting out Trill's admin. <laughs> like suddenly that becomes really exciting. Because then you can actually achieve, you know, this ticking off thing is actually really addictive and really, really hard as a scriptwriter because, you know, frankly, no script's finished ever. Um, and yeah good luck with ticking that off <laughs> you can't tick anything off and even if you've ticked it off you've essentially sent an email that's going to be sent back to you with another lot of suggestions or edits or whatever and so you can't find that kick from your that side of your work so it becomes much easier to sort of start organising when the next trills rehearsal is or, or you know updating whatever needs updating or that doesn't probably need updating yeah. but just needed Suggesting to be more covers for trailers <laughs> <laughs> I mean anything <laughs> have, have there been any tools or any do you have any tips for things that, that have helped you kind of tips is such a right word but like do you know no, what I mean yeah any I know of... and I, I think I, I fluctuate I really believe in routines and I can tell that I'm, I'm better when I've stuck to a routine when I wake up at a particular time and work between certain hours but then you know the other day I heard that Abby Morgan actually she she writes for two hours whatever and then she reviews it and she's like it's not working it is working and if she, if it's not working she just walks away and that's kind of amazing because those days where you can't write are exhausting but I never feel comfortable enough to just walk away from it and I'll end up asleep I work in my room and yesterday somehow I managed to go from my keyboard to my bed and just woke up at six and I can't remember when I went to sleep I mean <laughs> that's amazing and that's just awful because it's also exhausting not being able to write you're exhausted and you can feel yourself falling asleep whereas if it's going well you're kind of really charged but everyone had you know I, I live with another writer and um Henry is also a carpenter and builder so he actually you know you can hear when he can't write because he's actually like making a table or he's like banging a shelf oh, together great combo and I'm really jealous of that because I feel like yeah if I could go like beat up some wood that would help that's really instead of oh, this great. pathetic like flopping to bed like I'm you know a 19th century heroine <laughs> so you talked a bit about your um playwriting theatre stuff tell us a bit more about your tv bits and pieces so while I was um doing all these kind of odd jobs before Monster in the Lake went back to vaults I was doing all these odd jobs and I started writing a tv script which was the first tv script I'd written how come you started writing it because I was going completely mad and all my friends were doing kind of similarly post university quite odd jobs and so it was about four girls that moved back to London with all these expectations and basically start doing really, really mad jobs 
my friend Poppy was working in a wedding shop and she I mean she's a very funny person anyway and she's she's basically inspired this sitcom I've now written called Wedmen which is set inside a wedding shop. Wedmen. I mean that is a name that is a word I have to say at my age in life that all I've heard for the last eight years is my friends talking about Wedmen. It is <laughs> makes me want to punch myself in the face. This sounds brilliant. So you and that's just something you wrote on so your own. Wed, so Wedman was actually the second one she inspired. The first one was called Rosebuds, and I wrote the whole series. So I wrote six episodes. They were thirty minutes each. And looking back on it, it really you know it taught me a lot. I basically was determined to find this kind of arc of a series, but through writing the whole series. Wow. But it meant then Channel Four run this uh, opportunity for fourteen writers a year, and it's a, you apply over the internet, and I applied with Rosebuds. And I really think in the interview for that, because I could answer basically anything you asked me about that episode, I knew exactly what was going to happen to every single character at the end of the series, because I'd written everything. They were so, I don't know what they, I mean, what they must have thought when they interviewed me, but anyway, I got it. Amazing, well, it must have been a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> or they were just like, we need to help her out. <laughs> she's she's going to like, end up in a home. <laughs> um, so I was one of the 14 last year last January so what's um, that sorry that's is that a scheme to develop then the script yeah, it's, or? A cha- it's called the channel for screenwriting course and they take they pair you up with script editors and you have to have no have had no tv credits a lot of playwrights do it or writers that have come from radio but you can't have had any tv credits and it was the first time that I kind of learned to work with script editors and that was when I got my agent and that's when that show motherload which was the show that we wrote over that next six months has been my calling card script since and it's really led to everything since then, or three three further options have come from that script. Wow. Um, so that was a real kind of game changer. Real shift for you. Yeah. So were you, what about an agent? I always think such an interesting one. Do you Were you aware of getting an agent before that, do you think? Or is it something that then sort yeah. of came across your path being on that scheme or...? I think with theatre, it's so much more important. More important than having an agent is this collab- is collaboration and people working with people and kind of acknowledging that your ideas, you know, you can bring a script to something and then this director comes along and then this producer and, and everyone gets together and makes this amazing thing. You know, I feel like agents don't need to be involved. You know, that's very much a, a, a kind of artistic endeavour and it's very collaborative and that's its, its kind of beauty. But, I mean, really, if I hadn't then got that agent the tv stuff's all come from her it's kind of meetings after meeting after meeting and a lot of presenting going with ideas and pitching ideas and such a different um, process it's a very very different process yeah um she was very honest with me you know i met her probably a year before she signed me and it really has come from a friendship and a working relationship that just works very very well for both of us it's amazing really think it's, it's so interesting to think about the timing of all this stuff mm. isn't it with all your bits and pieces you know I don't know if you're aware of it when one's in it, but actually that patience of... Uh, it's lovely to hear how everything kind of just... I mean, I know it wasn't like that, but feels yeah. like it gently has sort of got to this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I'm sure there's been times of very ungently. Yeah. To see that kind of arc of it. Yeah, your story, I guess. But no, the, but the most interesting kind of example of that was then in October... So Tiger Aspect bought, bought Motherload, which was a huge thing. And they, you know, I was having this meeting with them and they were all really excited. And I recognised the man's name. And I just went to my emails after the meeting and, and, you know, put his name into my emails. And he'd read Rosebuds three years before. And he just sent me this email. And I can't even remember how he'd got hold of it, but he sent me a very sweet kind of... An email saying we're not going to take it, but it was so kind of encouraging and 
um, it, it was kind of just like you just need to keep going and it was just an amazing kind of circle to then have then come out of this second meeting where they actually wanted a script you know then it was becoming like my job and something that I could actually see myself doing yeah to see that complete process from start to finish yeah. between those two things yeah. that is cool what a feeling that it must have been so oh god it makes me feel like excited <laughs> nothing to do with it um to lose so i've got this thing it's funny you're talking about suitcase and this theme at the beginning of all yeah. your writing i've started asking people if you're setting out on a day of writing or doing your trill stuff mm-hmm. what three things would you pack you get you get your house keys and phone as standard because they're boring and we don't want to end those in any bags you get an object or a thing so that can be anything uh an inspiration again go for your life Mm -hmm. and a personal people uh so just interested to hear what you what the ones that fit under that category that kind of help you with with the stuff that you do well interestingly i always have too much stuff in my bag so I think I might do that. <laughs> Apart from the person, I think I basically do that. I am terrified about being somewhere without a book. So, and a pen, but leaving the house without books and pens freaks me out. And, and As in book to read or book to write in? A book to read, and then probably a book to write in, and then a pen. And if I don't have, like, sometimes on train journeys, I'll actually have to try and steal a pen with the pretense of needing to, like, borrow it really quickly just to have it in my hand because I freak out if I don't have it. So I think pen. <laughs> I think probably pen. I think pen would probably be a good idea. We don't want meltdowns. I don't want meltdown. I love it. So That's I brilliant. I think pen would be in there. I think that I'd take a book. Oh no, is that two objects? No, so we could have we'll have that we can combine pen and books as objects. Yeah. What about inspiration? Um I I basically re this is that sounds so ridiculous, but my whole uh, world is is putting together kind of words and forming characters and and living in a kind of make-believe world. So fun. It's so I fun. Kind of but it, it means that I kind of really uh have to be around you know actually the printed word. I think that it would be kind of poetry or short stories like Miranda July's short stories, things that like kind of condense something that I could put in my bag and just have. Um I think that would be my inspiration. I love that like the concise the conciseness yeah. of it. Yeah. Wicked. Uh, and what about your personal people? So my people, my tribe, would be... <laughs> Quite the collection. I think they'd have to be your kind of oldest friends. I know I've spoken a bit about writing parts for women, and, you know, I think a, a kind of strand that goes through a lot of my work is female friendship, which I do, you know, I stand by being kind of the most important thing. Um, and both across generations, so kind of the older women in my, my life that have inspired me, but also the female friends that you've had from being tiny who have sort of seen you through all the huge kind of different things. There's like actually nothing like it. I'm sitting no, here nodding I because I just couldn't agree with you more. There is actually nothing on this planet like that. Yeah. It is the most precious of things. Yeah. Um, Tallulah, tell me, if you were to give yourself a bit of advice when you were starting out, what mm. advice do you kind of wish you'd been given? Um... Well, I mean, the thing is, that I'd never, even the advice I'm thinking of now, I know I'm, I didn't even listen to today. I'm a panicker, and I panic all the time, you know, and you can panic when you are writing. Panic you're writing too much, you know, sometimes if I look at the list of what I've got, what's been put out, that terrifies me. I can say, oh, well, I've written, you know, six plays and, you know, four TV shows, and then you're like, well, then that's not matching up. So I can kind of give myself a hard time for not producing work or for producing too much work. I can give myself a hard time for staying in or going out. I can, you know, anything. So I think I'd probably tell myself to to, to not panic. 
and just stop giving myself a hard time. And obviously that like neurosis has, you know, leads to actually writing the script. And often, you know, the, the most like depressing and horrific experiences do actually lead to great sitcom material. So, you know, there's a silver lining. <laughs> You've been listening to Passion Pod 61 with Tallulah. Some darn fine advice right there. Thank you so much to Lula uh, for joining us on Passion Pods this week. Uh, if you fancy reviewing this, by the way, we do have reviews on iTunes, which we'd be super grateful if you fancy giving us a rating. Slightly tempting fate, that, isn't it? But really, honestly, we'd love to hear what you're thinking. So head to Passion Pods on iTunes and let us know. And if you are looking for more inspiration, if you're thinking about writing, we have got a load of other writers actually up on our website, passionpods.co.uk, who have different bits of advice here and there and are generally just as encouraging so if you fancy a bit more of where that came from head to the website um so next week looking ahead there's no stopping us i tell you uh really excited to be chatting to the founder or one of the founders there's loads of them involved in this uh, well it feels like it there's like a never-ending army food-based but actually event space as well the kind of vibe is sort of a permanent space but with a pop-up type feel uh that's the, the general gist of next week's natter if you fancy finding out a bit more, then make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. You don't have to make any effort. Quickest way to get the newest podcast from us. Uh, so, yeah, join us for that next week. Um, in the meantime, have a real good one. <laughs>